Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. So we've been in a series here, you know, obviously speaking about the greatest of all time, but I really wanted to end the series talking about what the scripture says about goats. And if you go into the New Testament, Jesus actually said when he comes back that he'll separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep speaking about people that are right with God, that have received forgiveness Goats speaking of those who are away from God, they're distant from God, they've not received forgiveness, they're not walking with the Lord. And so goats in scripture represent sin. They represent the things that we do that are not pleasing to God, that are not honoring to God. And I want to take some time today and and talk to you about maybe some goats that this world has exaggerated, maybe even sensationalized. These things that the world has said, man, this right here is great. This right here, if you have this in your life, if you live like this, if you go after these things, these are the great things in life. But the Bible doesn't define them as great. The Bible calls many of those things sin. Sin is a real simple subject. It's anything that separates you from God. Sin is anything that decreases your passion for God. Sin is a illegitimate response to a legitimate need. In other words, many times when we sin, we think, well, we had a right to. It's because this was going on and that was going on and this happened and that happened. And that's why I did those things. Again, it's an illegitimate response to a legitimate need. The enemy knows how to introduce that cute little goat at the right time. He knows how to present that sin to you at the perfect time where in your mind you're justified. You're justified to act that way, to respond that way, to live a particular way. And it is an illegitimate response to a real need in your life. Sin, the Bible says, is fun for a season. In other words, sin has a delayed response. A lot of people, they sin and they think, see, there's nothing wrong with this. I'm enjoying it. I'm just having fun. Everybody else is doing it, but it has a delayed response. Imagine if you are hammering a nail and you hit your thumb, but right away you don't feel anything. But all of a sudden, six months later, a year later, two years later, out of nowhere, all of a sudden the pain for that moment that you hit your thumb Way earlier, all of a sudden it hits you and you're in the middle of Kroger and you're like, my God, what whatever you say when you hit your thumb, I, I just praise God. That's all I do. I don't, I don't know what you guys do, but I just, I'm sinning right now because I'm lying. I believe every now and then. So goats represent sin. The Bible says a lot about this subject. And my goal is to not necessarily focus on sin as much as the effects of sin. 
what sin does to us, how sin works its way into our life. And so I'm going to have Brooke go ahead and take the goat here. Everybody say bye, amigo. Is it amigo? It is? Oh, amigoat. Oh, I thought it was like Hispanic or something. I don't know. See, that's how y'all are with sin, too. Y'all, ah, oh, so it's fine. He, he don't know the Lord, but, but I'll, I'll get him there eventually. Oh, he's so cute. First Samuel chapter 10 and verse 3. This is the text I'm going to use for our time together. Then you shall go on forward from there... And come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men are going up to Bethel. Bethel means the house of the Lord. And they're going to meet with God at Bethel. And they'll meet you. One will be carrying three goats. Another will be carrying three loaves of bread. And another will be carrying a skin or a bottle of wine. Now, I want to be up front that this is a basic message. This is not a deep message. Some of you have been in church a long time. This is probably way beneath you, you know, because that's how we are in church. We always want something deep. We always, we always want you to give us some new insight that, that is fresh, that maybe we've never heard before. But I found in 27 years of serving God that it's not difficult to get saved. It's not difficult to have a massive amount of knowledge concerning what it means to be saved. But it is difficult to live free. There's a lot of things that happened to me when I said yes to Jesus that immediately didn't work their way into my life. And so I had things that I'd picked up along the way, mindsets that I'd picked up along the way, that just because I said yes to Jesus and had a heart to please him, it didn't immediately make it easy and I thought over the years well surely at some point I'll just grow out of certain things like maybe I'll be a youth pastor and then I won't struggle with that anymore maybe I'll be a pastor and now now all of a sudden sin doesn't hit me like it hits you guys surely surely there's a a way that you outgrow these things but what I have found is the enemy is really really good at finding a way to try to pull us back in to the things that enslaved us before If he wasn't so good at it, the world wouldn't be such a wreck. Very intelligent people, very godly people, people that know better find themselves struggling with sins that a long time ago, in their minds, they should have graduated from. So it's easy to get saved, it's hard to stay free. It's it's easy to get healed in your heart it's more difficult for that healing to work its way out and for you to be whole in life. It's easy to come out of Egypt. It's hard to enter into the land flowing with milk and honey. And I believe the strongest weapon the enemy uses against the believer is not sin, it's the effects of sin. The effects of sin are condemnation, their shame, their guilt, And the enemy loves for you and I to live our life eaten up in condemnation and guilt. The enemy loves to get us feeling unloved and unaccepted. 
The enemy loves to get us feeling like we're not worthy, like we don't measure up. And then we come to church and we try to sing, but it's so difficult because that cloud of condemnation, the message Bible calls condemnation a dark cloud that just surrounds your life. And you, you try to worship, you try to engage, you try to open up, but the enemy is so good at causing our conscience to be eaten up with guilt and condemnation. I love this story because I think there's a hidden message in it. It says that there's this place that God called them to go. It's a certain place that he called them to. And when he called them there, he said, I want you to watch three guys. There's three different individuals and they're on their way to church. They're on their way to Bethel. The first guy has three loaves of bread. The second guy has a bottle of wine. They're out of order somewhat, forgive me. And then the third has three goats. Now, if you've been in church any time at all, you know what the bread and the wine represent. If you've taken communion, if you've ever received the Lord's Supper, you would know that the wine represents the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross. You would know that the bread represents his broken body. And so there's two people on their way to church and It appears as though the message here is that that's what they're focused on. They're focused on the blood and they're focused on the body. They're focused on the wine and the bread. They're focused on the cross. They're focused on the sacrifice that Jesus gave. They're focused on the price that he paid. They're focused on the idea that the only reason that we can even enter into the presence of God or walk with God in our life is because of the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. And they live their life with that focus. They're they're focused not on themselves, but they're focused on what they've done, but they're focused on what Jesus has done. They recognize there's nothing that they can bring or offer to God that would any way make up for their sin. They're focused on one thing. They know that Jesus and him alone and his sacrifice is the only thing that you and I can offer that's pleasing to God that provides propitiation or forgiveness for our sin. You know, I used to not understand the word propitiation. It's a big word, but if you've ever saw someone fly into space, you would know that when you go from one atmosphere to another, that there is what they call a propitiator that they put around the astronaut and they put the astronaut in the compartment and then they put the propitiator around the astronaut so when they go from one atmosphere to another, the astronaut doesn't burn up. That's what propitiation is. That you and I, when we're trying to live for God, sometimes the heat gets so hot that if there wasn't something covering us, our sin would burn us up. But God provided through Jesus a covering for us so when the enemy and hell hits you and I, we have the covering that we need. So they're focused, two of them are focused on the the body, they're focused on the blood. They know they're covered. They know they're surrounded. They, they know that there's that atonement or that covering for their life. That when God sees them, he doesn't see their sin. But because of Jesus, he sees, God sees his son. He doesn't look at us and what we've done, where we fall short, where we've made mistakes, where we don't measure up. That's not what God looks at when he sees us. We atone, we have a propitiation, we're covered. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees, he sees Jesus instead. 
And when he sees Jesus, he sees no sin, he sees no fault, he sees no wrong. And because of that covering, you and I can enter into the presence of God. And these two guys are focused on that. They come to church and they can't wait to worship because they know they're covered. They can't wait for the sermon. They're not sweating bullets when the sermon starts coming and the preacher opens up talking about sin. They're, they're not worried about it. They're, they know that we all sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But yet, because of his mercy and because of his grace, we're covered. They know that. So they, they come to church excited. They live life when it comes to the things of God, filled up and joyful. And they know that they're right with God, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And two guys, that's how they come to church. But one guy shows up with three goats. Now the Bible says that he's not carrying or pulling the goats with a leash. He doesn't have a cart that he's pulling the goats in. The Bible says that this guy is actually carrying three goats. And he's got a 20 mile journey from where they're at to the house of God. So for 20 miles, one guy's focused on the blood of Jesus and forgiveness, one guy's focused on the bread, but one guy is carrying three goats. Now, you weren't close enough to those goats. We had several back there yesterday. And I can tell you that as cute as that goat looks, you don't wanna carry Three goats for 20 miles. They have a horrid like aroma to them. I mean, they smell terribly. And if you're walking for 20 miles, I'm guessing every now and then you get a little crink in your neck and it's a little uncomfortable and you start to feel the burn. Come on, your heart rate escalates. You maybe start to sweat. Now your sweat's mixing with the horrible odor of those goats that you're carrying. Come on, now it's not the goats that smell. You smell like the goats. And this guy's coming to church carrying these three goats. And that's the effects of sin. That's how the enemy works. It's it's not the sin that's necessarily the long-term issue. It's It's the effects of that sin or the aroma of it. It just has a way of getting on you. That's what condemnation, that's what shame. It's it's the residue. It gets on you. And and even though it's gone, it's in the past, it's over. You've put it away. It just has a way of coming back and attaching itself to you. and, And you try to worship, but the enemy's whispering in your ear, you're not real, you're a fake, you're a hypocrite. No, no woman of God or child of God or man of God would be living like that. You try to pray, you try to open up your Bible, you try to take any step forward in spiritual things and the enemy brings that goat up. And the aroma all of a sudden hits you. And that condemnation and that shame start to work their way into your life. It's not the sin that the enemy uses long term. He uses condemnation. The sin's over, the sin's gone. Maybe you've even said, God, forgive me. But the enemy keeps bringing it up over and over and over in our life. There's a parable where Jesus is teaching a crowd and a guy stands up in the middle of the sermon and he said, teacher, 
My brother stole my inheritance from me. I want you to help me get my brother the inheritance that belongs to me from my brother. I want you to help me get it. And Jesus says, well, I mean, I'm in the middle of a sermon right now. And I'm not an attorney is exactly what Jesus said. I'm not an attorney. He said, I'm not a judge. You might want to hire one. I'm paraphrasing. But then Jesus warns him. And he said, I warn you that life does not consist of the abundance of things. In other words, here's a guy in the middle of a message that Jesus is preaching. And I don't know what he was talking about. I don't know what the subject matter is, but it's not an apostle teaching. It's not like one of the first century, you know, early church fathers preaching. This is Jesus actually preaching and all the guy can think about is what his brother's got that he doesn't have. My brother's got this and I want that. He can do that. I want to do, I want to live like my brother. And Jesus said life doesn't consist of an abundance of things. And that word inheritance means life of chance. In other words, living your life like a gamble. Living your life always wanting what you think somebody else has that you don't have. And Jesus said life doesn't live doesn't consist of the abundance of things. In other words, this is how it works. Whenever you think about sin, don't think about the person that's just early on in the sin. This is why teenagers struggle with sin so much because they see their friends do it, but the problem is they're early on in the sin. They don't know the effects of that sin 10, 20, 30 years from now. They don't know that yet. Now it's fun for a season. It's fine for a season. They don't know how the enemy is going to use that as a weapon in their life. They don't know how for decades to come, the enemy will use shame and condemnation and keep with like a dark cloud surrounding them. They don't know that yet. So Jesus said, life does not consist of the abundance of things. In other words, you have to go to the person that has an abundance of the thing that you're looking for. That you think is going to make you happy. Did you know, anybody would know that during the Great Depression, for example, most of the millionaires, the wealthiest people in the world that lost their money, most of them committed suicide. We watch in Hollywood people that have fame and they have fortune killing themselves all the time. And it doesn't stay away from the church either. Just recently, a couple weeks ago, a pastor struggling with depression, a pastor Come on, sometimes you look up here and you're like, man, that's, that's got to be awesome right there. That's got to be a great job. You can go to not the person that's drinking a glass of wine and whatever you want to talk to God about is between you and him. And I can't necessarily say the Bible says that's sin, but I can say the Bible does say an addiction to that or an abuse of that is sin. And sometimes what happens is the Bible says you got to go to the person that has an abundance of it. It's not the cigarette that you should be focusing on. It's the person that has the abundance of it. It's not the person that gets high every now and then. you got to look at the person that has an abundance of it. It's not the person that's sleeping around with his girlfriend. It's the person that has an abundance. you got to go to the abundance of it. That's the warning of Jesus. The abundance of what? It's the person coughing up their lungs because, and they can't see their grandkids. They die 10 years too early because of, of a nicotine addiction. It's the person that loses everything because 
of alcohol abuse. It's you got to go to the person with the abundance of it, the person that loses their family because of addiction, or go to the person that, I mean, come on, we don't ever think of a prostitute as someone that's happy, right? But they have the abundance of that thing that you think is going to make you happy. Jesus said, go to the one that has an abundance of it that has them all of it they would ever want. They've smoked all they want. They've shot all they want up. They've snorted all they want up. They've slept with all that they want. And then when you look at that person, Jesus' warning was, that's not life. I'm right here talking to you. And you're looking over there at what somebody else has that you think is going to fulfill you. That's not where life is at. Life is here. Life is in me. Life is in my words. Life is in what I'm saying. This is life. So this guy's carrying the three goats. So I thought through three goats that I found in the Bible that we could take some time and look at real fast. My opening was long. The first goat that I found is mentioned in Genesis chapter 27. It's the story of how Jacob stole his birthright from his brother Esau. And the Bible says that the way that he did it was they went and they killed a goat. That's what the Bible says. And they took the meat of the goat and they made a stew... And they dried the goat skin out. And Jacob and his mom come up with this plan. That Esau, who is the firstborn, Esau, who is the one that has the, the right to the family inheritance. He's hairy. And so, Jacob, if you're going to deceive Isaac, your father, who's old, he's on his deathbed, he can't see. The Bible says his eyes are dim. He's tired. He's almost gone. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to take the goat hair and you're going to have to put it on your body. And because of the goat hair, when you go in to your father, he's going to reach out and feel your neck and feel your arms and he's going to think you're Esau and he's going to give you the blessing instead of Esau. I think one of the goats that this world uses with many of us that produces that black cloud of condemnation around our life is the goat of deception. Deception is when you deceive people. When you lie, you misrepresent the truth. Deception is when You live your life manipulating, angling behind the scenes. What you you are to people's face and what they reach out and they feel isn't really true to who you are. The Bible says that not only did Jacob deceive his father and his brother, but the Bible says that Jacob would go and marry into a family And his initial goal was to get the daughter 
Her name was Rachel and he wanted Rachel. He desired Rachel and he worked for seven years to get Rachel. And he walked the altar and, and said yes to her at the altar. They went to the honeymoon suite. They had candles lit. It was dark. And the next morning, the sun was shining through the window of that honeymoon suite. And Jacob rolls over. And it's not Rachel he married the night before. It's what the Bible says is her ugly sister, Leah. That's what your Bible says. Maybe it doesn't say ugly, but it says she had cow eyes. I don't know what that means. But the Bible thought it was important. And it's too late. It's done. The deal is sealed. And he goes to Laban. He says, this isn't what I wanted. How do I get Rachel? I still want Rachel. And he's like, you got to work another seven years. He lost 14 years of his life. Because when you live a life sowing deception, you'll find yourself reaping a life of deception. Because there's an aroma to deception. There's an aroma that, that what's interesting is people that live their life deceiving others happen to flock together. You know, it's birds of the same feather flock together, right? Spirit attracts spirit, like attracts like. And you find yourself, the, the problem with deceived people is they don't know they're deceived. But they flock together and there's an aroma to it. There's a scent to it. There's, there's, and when you pick up that deception, you just have a way of knowing that you haven't earned your way into the blessing. You haven't sacrificed your way into the blessing. You have a sense of knowing that you lived your life not trusting that God could bless you. So you had to lie and manipulate and deceive to get the blessing somehow in your life. And now what happens is there's always on the inside something eating away at you. And you know, you know without any question that your life is filled with that aroma of deception. The next goat that I found is in Genesis chapter 37. It's the goat of jealousy. Joseph, the Bible says, has his coat of many colors. He has great dreams. His brothers can't stand that he has the favor of his father. And he has these great dreams. So they decide to, to murder him. Instead of murdering him, they sell him into to slavery. And they take that coat from him and the Bible says they go and they kill a goat and they take that coat and they dip it in that goat's blood and they go and they take it to their father and they say Joseph is dead because that's that's how jealousy is jealousy is always trying to target somebody else trying to go after someone else because it appears like they're favored and you're not. They're blessed and you're not. They're walking in, in something that you believe you deserve. And jealousy is always targeting. It's that strife. It's that anger. It's hostility towards other people. And, and the Bible says that they killed a goat out of that jealousy. Jealousy will destroy your life. It'll destroy your relationships. It destroys churches all the time. I've watched it over the years. People will come into church 
And they'll feel like they have a right to be somewhere and they have a right to do something. And, and don't you know who I am? And don't you know what I'm about? And don't you know the gifts? And don't you know the cause? And they'll look at someone else that they think has a position that they want. And they just, and it's an aroma to them. It's an aroma to who they are. They lose honor. They lose respect. They lose a sense of humility about who they are. Because really jealousy is pride. Jealousy is pride because you, you, don't, you think you're the one that should be there, not them. You're the one that should be in that role, that position. And the, the thing is, is we're always so short-sighted because no matter where you rise to, there's always somebody up a little bit higher, always up a little bit further. And the problem with jealousy is, is we all have moments where we compare ourselves, where we wonder what's wrong with me that I can't have that. What's off with me that I can't have a loving relationship? What's off with me that I I can't, God hasn't opened that door for me? Which we gotta learn, sometimes God's provision is not open doors, it's closed doors. Come on, we just want God to open up doors, but when you ask God to bless you, come on, there's, you ask him to open up a door no man can shut, so if the door's shut, sometimes you gotta just thank God for the closed doors too. But many times we see what somebody else and we start to compare ourselves to them. And if not caught early enough, that comparison will turn into jealousy. And that jealousy will turn into strife. And that strife will turn into pulling other people together to try to assassinate the character of somebody else. Trying to assassinate the value of another person, the And I've watched it over the years and jealousy has an aroma to it. It just has a stench to it and it just attaches itself to you. It's that dark cloud that surrounds you. And instead of being at peace with God, instead of being in worship and being at peace with worship, that that person that you're just so consumed with keeps popping up in your mind every time you try to pray every time you try to do something for it just that person just keeps popping up in your mind and you just obsess about what they have that you don't have there's an aroma to that there's a stench to that oh y'all don't want to hear this sermon today I can tell (laughs) the third goat that I found is in Genesis chapter 38 man by the name of Judah had just lost his wife, was in a foreign town, was lonely, was vulnerable. And the Bible says he sees what he thinks is a prostitute walking by. He didn't know it was his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and he asked someone, how do I get with that girl? What's the price? And notice what her price says. The Bible says it'll cost you one goat. The final goat I want to talk to you about is the goat of sexual immorality. When you give yourself over to sexual immorality, looking beyond your marriage, or if you're single, sleeping with somebody that's not Your wife or your husband, can I just take a minute and say there's an aroma to that. It doesn't, it's not just one and it's gone. Again, Jesus was pretty clear. If that's all it was, he probably wouldn't have a huge issue with it. It's the lingering effects of things. 
It's how it just keeps coming up. And it's the aroma of those things and the aroma of sexual immorality. It condemns you. It's a black cloud that surrounds you. It, it shames you. The enemy uses that as a weapon in your life to constantly work on you. And, and instead of when you come to church, instead of focusing on the bread, instead of focusing on the body, instead of focusing on the blood, you're just carrying all these goats. You just burden with the goats of your past, burden with the goats of your sin, burden with the goats of of jealousy, burden with the goats of deception, burden with the goats of, of sexual immorality, and you just carry those things. And whenever you come to church, instead of focusing on what Jesus has done, you're focusing on those goats. And the aroma of those goats and the condemnation and the guilt just eat away at you. Samson, the Bible says, was called to marry a believer, but instead he went and married a foreign person, someone that was known to be an enemy of God. And you know what that woman asked for, for her hand in marriage? She said, Samson said, what do I have to give you? She said, give me a goat. I want to talk to young people for just a second. I'm not talking to those of you who are married. The Bible says if you're married to an unbeliever, settle into it. Settle into it. Be quiet about it. Don't judge them anymore. That your life is supposed to be an example to that person now. But for those of you that are single, young people, the Bible is clear that you are not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And I bet you could sit down with those who have married unbelievers and maybe you're here today and you're you're an unbeliever and your wife dragged you or your husband dragged you listen we love you we're for you it's just you cannot deny whichever side of the road you're on that the bible calls it being unequally yoked imagine two oxen that are pulling a plow but if you're unequally yoked it just basically means that that the plow is not connected and the one is trying to pull in one direction and the other is trying to pull in another direction and you never actually get the plow down the field. Just in life, you're always working against each other. You're always trying to figure out how do we work around these values that are not connected. And young people, can I just say, I know that you want to believe that it's okay, it's not a big deal, they're a nice person, but you should be asking yourself, number one, where do they stand with Jesus? Where are they at with the Lord? And make sure you get with somebody that you can pull in the same direction. Why? Because if not, it'll cost you. And there will be an aroma to your life and you'll want to serve God. You'll want to commit to God. You'll want to go all in for God, but you'll always be managing the fact that you're unequally yoked. And that's how people come to church. That's how people live their life, focused on the goats. I'm not being proud. We've all in this room had those goats in our life at some point in time or another. All of us this week had to have enough biblical understanding and enough of the Holy Spirit and enough of the grace of God and enough of the mercy of God to look at what the world says is goats. Come on, the world says these are the great things. The world says this is how you do it. 
Just deceive. Step on who you need to step on. Lie, manipulate, connive. Do whatever you got to do. That's how you do it. The world of jealousy just pull them down, yank them down, assassinate them, whatever. Just go after their character. Pull them down. Accusation. Come on, that's what the Bible calls the devil, by the way. He's the accuser of the brethren. Just accuse, accuse, accuse. And, and that's, what, that's what the world says you do. The world is consumed with with lust and sex, but the problem is it gives the enemy a weapon in your life. And it causes condemnation to begin to control you. All of us have failed. All of us have fallen short. But we're not to live burdened by those things. We're not supposed to come to church carrying those things. We've all sinned. We've all fallen. But the enemy wants to use condemnation where the Holy Spirit uses conviction. Conviction is different than condemnation because condemnation is what produces that aroma, that dark cloud in your life where, where conviction is the thing that leads you away to the place of being cleaned of that, cleansed of that, washed of that. Condemnation drives you to a grave, come on. Conviction brings you out of the grave. So many Christians carry shame and condemnation and they don't focus on the body and the blood like they should they don't focus on what Jesus has done and I came just with a simple message because some of you have so many goats that these aisles aren't big enough for you you have a herd of goats when you think about your life just you just made so many mistakes but at some point you got to make a decision are you going to live your life focused like the one guy Carrying the goats, burdened with the goats. Come on, carrying the weight of that sin and that condemnation. Or are you going to exchange the goat for the body and the blood of Jesus? Are you going to exchange the goats? I love it in the New Testament, the Old Testament, it's goats, 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 goats. But in the New Testament, the Bible says John is baptizing people in the River Jordan. And he looks up and Jesus comes walking over the hillside. And you know what, what John says, behold the lamb. Behold means fix your eyes on him and never take them off of him. Fix your eyes on this. And you know what Jesus said? The lamb, or John said, the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. You know what John was saying? He said, hey man, you have to exchange those goats for the lamb. You have to exchange those goats for the lamb, Jesus, who came and died and paid a price so you and I don't have to come into the house of God or live our life consumed with condemnation and guilt. I love what Paul said, Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to say it one more time. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He paid the price for your sin. He paid the price in full, the Bible says. It's completely been paid for. He didn't put it on layway, your forgiveness on layway. There's not an installment plan that he's trying to make on your sin. He's not making monthly payments to try to knock out maybe someday how he can pay off the huge debt of your sin. No, when he went to the cross, every single sin you've ever committed, you ever will commit, he paid the price in full and you don't have to carry it anymore. 
you can walk in total and complete forgiveness. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I've made mistakes, but I believe with all of my heart that none of those mistakes define who I am. I've made them just like you. But I have to come saying, I'm going to focus on the body and the blood. I'm going to focus on forgiveness. I'm going to focus on what he's done. I'm not going to live my life being eaten up with condemnation and guilt from mistakes that I've made. Amen.